Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Hello, how are you? Welcome. <laughs> That's changed all of a sudden, hasn't it? <laughs> Investing insights with Right Property Group. Uh, Phil Tarrant here, uh, one of your co-hosts. Not the Brains Trust, though. Those are the two gentlemen who are joining me as they have done now for a number of years, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar, directors, Right Property Group, gents, how's it going? <laughs> it's, going it's going well. I, we giggle because of his intro every every time for years now. And there must be a, a hotline for bullied podcast hosts somewhere. If someone knows 1-800-HELP or something like that, because you guys pick on me, it's not very nice. I think it's very appropriate, particularly in this complicated property environment that we operate in with right now. Yeah, well, that we're always serious about, but your mm. dress sense is another. I know. This is the problem. It's completely it? different. You don't like it. I once wore a, a very smart suit and uh, you took a photo of me. You were going to threaten to post it on social media, which I thought, again, was bullying. Well, if you actually had have thought it was okay, you would have let me post on social media, but That's you said, right. please don't because I look like Gary Glitter. <laughs> <laughs> <My, laughs> anyway. How are you? This is the voice of sensibility I'm, and I'm, reason. I'm good. Here. Did you notice yeah. that I strategically stayed out of I it? I did. Yes. I know. Hence the reason why I, <laughs> I jumped in and uh, and pulled you in to try and uh, help me alleviate some of the, the heat I'm copping from uh, your business partner over here. It mustn't be a good time in property. Do we need to get on the couch, Steve, no, and, uh, and, and debrief or something? It was a slow property week, right? So we need someone to sledge. You need someone to sledge. Yeah. Okay. We're just waiting on the coffee, actually. <laughs> <That's what it's laughs> <been. laughs> so has it been a slow property week or is it a fast property week? No, it's an amazing time, mm. realistically. It, uh, and we've said it quite a few times. A, I don't want to sound like that property guy. I must have said that a million times. Mm. But this is as good as the end of the GFC, which is when we first started speaking. Is it as good as it gets? If not better. Oh, it can always be better. Yeah. But it, is it, when you say, is it, is, it, is it good as it gets, it's just pretty good. There's a lot of ingredients that we're often talking about that are in that pot, mm. which haven't been there since the GFC. And I would also argue that some of the ingredients that aren't in the pot don't necessarily need to be there, which is what a lot of people fundamentally think that they should. So the challenge I have with this, Victor, is that Depending on who you listen to, you'd be running away from properties in asset class right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Why do you guys think it's so good? Look, when you look at it from a viewpoint of a hallmark of a strong property run, yeah, money needs to be easily accessible and relatively cheap. Supply needs to be relatively low. And there needs to be confidence in the market yeah, from a viewpoint of infrastructure, in terms of employment, and in terms of rents actually tracking upwards. So if you look at that, we're ticking all those boxes, right? So the government incentives that are being thrown in, in terms of infrastructure and employment, that's, that's uh, on the budget and also in different measures that they have flagged. The supply has dwindled because we're not constructing as many properties at the moment, particularly in the unit market. Yes, I guess the counter argument is that you know, immigration's at a, at a low point, but that in itself, uh, as we were discussing earlier, Steve, was that when immigration opens up, that adds another layer of demand for property, for rental properties. And when all of these come together and overlay that with good vibes in terms of property, if I can find the word, it just gives the, all the perfect ingredients of a good, strong run with, with um, people buying now and jumping in now. Having said that, there'll also be casualties in this market as well. Oh, the, without doubt, there'll be some casualties and there probably already is. But just going back to your early commentary around about the cost of money and how accessible it is, we only it's a trend that's been there since the beginnings of time that the more accessible credit is and the cheaper it is, mm -hmm. people's risk profiles 
a parallel yes. to that. So when money's cheap, people's risk profiles tend to amplify a little bit. And I, and I don't mean risk in its true sense, but also as the cost of money gets bigger and credit is harder, people tend to rein in everything and their mm-hmm. expectations and potentially their plans as well. But all of the data is, I don't know, I think it's kind of not irrelevant. I don't want to say that, but with the people that we are speaking to, so from agents to real estate agents for that matter, self-employed, the employees, everybody is confident. Mm. Now, once again, there is an element of the market out there which is not particularly confident because of job loss and the like, as an example around tourism and so on. But the majority of people that we speak to, it's quite the opposite. Tradesmen, all busy. Builders, busy. Car salesmen, best quarters. Mm. Boat salesmen, best quarters. Like it's, there's an element of excitement within the economy that was not there at the end of the GFC. And I would argue that today's sophistication or people are far more sophisticated today than what they were at the end of the GFC as well. And I guess that's a product, Steve, of the GFC was a financial crisis, whereas the COVID pandemic is a health crisis which has perpetuated a financial crisis so the underlying healthy economy prior to COVID was pretty good everyone's got a pretty big hit along the way but now what you're seeing is that inherent underlying strength of the economy running through to your point and something you use all the time the ground truth of what's happening right now trades are up car sales are up boat sales are up and there's some data here I was looking at just the other day credit card spending is up from where it was at the start of COVID. Business confidence is up. Is another big key differentiator of a positive negatives market. Private home sales are up. Continues on and on and on and on. So I'm going to call this, this is the big, great data divide or data discrepancy or, you know, in a recession, you're not supposed to have these strong economic indicators. And this is where I believe everything is it's a bit of a false negative mm. in all components of not just the market, but the data that we ingest daily. You mentioned something that was quite uh, important though as well. The GFC was a financial crisis. Today we have a health crisis that is perpetuated into a financial crisis. It's still a financial crisis. Mm. The trigger points were potentially different. but And the, the mindset uh, going in is different. The mindset going in, it was everyone was living quite large beforehand mm-hmm. and the rug was pulled from underneath them. But I'd argue that the GFC was exactly that as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I was only having a chat this morning. When do you think we'll officially come out of being in a recession? Do you reckon that's going to be end of the financial year? Well, technically, yeah, obviously we're in that recession. I don't know. And I there's already some talk around business activity has already increased. And I think you might have just mentioned that. Mm. But I still think we have quite a long way to go before you can hang your hat on we're out of a recession. And even if it's a, a quarter of positive growth, and then technically we're out of the the recession, like mm. I'd like to see a string of six of those together before we can start being quite confident on where we're going. Yeah, and yeah. the official manoeuvre out is two quarters of positive growth, Correct. right? We had negative growth of 7% last quarter, so unless it goes backwards, it's the only way is to go forwards. That's true. Now, importantly, we haven't bended that word around as much as one would expect, right? So you're not hearing that word recession being thrown around by the commentators as many times as one would expect. Mm. So that sort of gives you an indicator as to where the market is both in terms of in between the years of these commentators and also the real market in terms of the economy. There's very strong positive signs out there of a good recovery. I think there's a lot of other news out there that's taking its place. Mm -hmm. Um, So as of today's recording, we have a US election Mm. that is yet to- Well, it looks like it's going a particular way now. Well, it depends on who you 
what polls you look at. Yeah. And this we've is the stopped, point. We've stopped calling it elections because remember what happened here in Australia, right? So. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but like, but sort of jokes aside, no one knows what that's going to be. The media and the fake media and everything else that goes around it, it's just who you keep clicking on is who it's, what news is going to be fed up to you, mm. literally on your social media, on your yeah. social media, because that's where the majority of people will sort of digest that that information. Property is no different mm. than what we have today. Like it, the more you click on something, the more of that similar information that you will get. So if you're a doomsdayer, that's all the media that you're going to see in front of you. Very few people are out there buying newspapers today. Yeah, It's all on social media and that is the herd mentality. That's the new form of herd mentality and potential FOMO within the market. So we've got a US election. Mm-hmm. That's pretty big news. And that will have a direct effect on the Australian market, no matter which way it goes in some way, shape or form. We also have uh, the US and Europe with their reinfection rates larger than what it was initially, mm. like when COVID first came out. Came out. Pretty bad. And so that's going to have a, an effect on their economies and that might flow through to ours and something as simple as, well, when do we open our borders? That's all really good. But if the rest of the world's infected, we're not letting them in. Mm. So there's a cyclical effect here. So from an insular point of view, we have to deal with the right here, right now and what we have. And once again... That's why trying to look at historical data and historical trends are irrelevant in what we're facing today. So what you're saying then is that as you look back for clues in history of how we may propel ourselves out of this pandemic situation, you can go back to the GFC. It's the most immediate benchmark or example most of us have that we remember that we're actually operating business in to go, hey, where are the clues there for how we are going to move forward after this? And then you've got to go back a lot further into the 70s and maybe some significant changes in governments. But then back to the end of the World War II, there's probably some clues in there about how the economy will track after this. And you even go back further to 1919 as the world emerged out of World War I, conflict in Europe and the Spanish flu. Uh, it's probably the, the easiest example to follow. But financial markets have changed considerably since then. The way economics and economies operate are very different from then. So there's no real guiding light. There's no beacon for, there's for no, no shortcuts. There's no clues, really. No, I mean, well, some clues. Yeah, there's some very sort of high-level clues. But if you go back to the you know, to the, that moment in time with the industrial age, we'll, we'll mm. call it, there's no manufacturing industrial age that we have today. It's a technology sort of scenario mm. more so than everything. So all of those clues and the way that things eventuated back then are vastly different mm. from today and will be continuing. So I believe it'll be those that can – Look for human trends that are relevant now with a bit of assumptions and you know, predictive methods into what we as humans and how we're going to live and then make and execute the decisions in, in relative to property as it is today. So we were very, very early in coming out and saying, you watch how COVID will change people's nature and how they live and where they want to live. You can go back and listen to the podcast, the lives, even the videos we did. And we said that people will flee the built-up metropolis areas, and they will look for affordability and lifestyle. Now, is that because we're so clever? No, because there was a clue, the same as it, there was from the GFC. Different trigger point, same results to a degree, and it will continue to be the same. Now, whilst it might sound like I'm contradicting myself because this has got different trigger points as a pandemic and therefore a financial crisis, as humans, we still need connectivity. We still need jobs. We still need credit, money, and we still need a roof over our head. That won't change. Do you subscribe, Victor, just before we get on to your point, do you subscribe, Steve, to this sea change, tree change phenomenon that's happening right now? What was it? it? (laughs) Phenomenon. And I I preface that by saying 
Let's look for the clues what we know so far. This is a completely new world, completely new environment, completely new learned experience for every single person in business or otherwise, right? So COVID hits, everyone gets sent home. That's the way it is, right? And everyone goes, I like working from home. This is good. I want to do this forever. Oh, I don't actually need to live near the city anymore. I'm going to go and live in whoop whoop, right? So, but already we're starting to see so much fatigue with the remote working, so much fatigue. And now it's starting to happen. A lot of big CEOs are saying there is this myth of greater productivity, people working from home. Once this honeymoon period is over, which it is becoming over now, the reality of it is very, very different. It's going to impact business moving forward. So do you subscribe to A or B? A, everyone can work from everywhere and therefore it's going to shape property prices. Probably a hybrid model, somewhere in between, because you mentioned the sea change and Hard as I try, I can't seem to get that to stick. I've called it the sea change, like mm. COVID. See if COVID yeah, okay. you get it? You got yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I got it. You can run with that. Just ask me. It, um, but we've seen the tree change, sea change, but I believe people will take it to the extreme. So if, let's talk regional for a minute, and we've talked about this before, but we'll quickly do it again, is that an element of people have gone regional for that open air lifestyle and because they can work remotely. The problem with remote working is there's no culture, there's no connectivity. And as humans, we need to interact on a level of some sort. I think as employers begin to get over the COVID scenario and as an economy, we're going to have a hybrid model of you know, four at home, one in the office or three, two, whatever it may be. If you've gone too remote- You can't do that. You can't yeah. do that. You're not going to travel- eight hours back to work or six hours back to work. So then you have a choice. The employer, and I'm being quite general, so don't pin me on it, but the, the employer will say, well, you've got a choice now. So we need you back in the office three, two, or two, three, whatever it may be. You've got the choice to either quit your job and try to find work locally. And if you're too remote, too regional, there's not the work there for you. Mm. Or you actually sell up or give up if you're renting and you move back to the metropolis areas. Where I think the sweet spot is, and we've been quite open in targeting these areas, is within the commutable different distances mm-hmm. back to the CBDs or the metropolitan areas, because it is on a rail route, it is on a freeway access, it is within that acceptable distance to commute for a couple of days a week. And I think that's where the, the hybrid model will be. The one thing that I don't think anybody can answer is when will that happen in terms of employers saying, come back to work because we need you to for all Mm. the reasons I said before, because if we go down the path of Europe or the US with our infection rates, again, once again, there'll be no city access. There'll be no high rise access for employees and social distancing will be the new norm forever. Mm. Maybe, who knows? So these are where all the, we can have guesses because that's all it is because there's no clues to look for yeah. going forward. Well, as to my point, if you go back to 1919, 1920, when we had another pandemic, the Spanish flu or the influenza, there was no such thing as the internet then. So very, very different playing field. So it was probably and 10 most times, times bigger yeah. than what it was reported to be because there was no way to get that information out. And, plus, and plus 90% of the jobs were mechanical rather than knowledge-based working is what we have right now. The industrial age. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And also we were not moving around as much back mm. then. There were not as many flights. You couldn't be on the other side of the world in 12 hours. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you come back to that and what's happening on the ground today in terms of people investing, a lot of people are going to set themselves up for failure purely because they're going on immediate data, right? And they're starting to ignore the fundamentals and they are starting to also ignore the um, intuitive 
investing. So similar to what Steve said, in terms of people making those changes going into lifestyle areas and then the employment and the employers are then calling them back in closer to work, you'll find that there is this data abnormality in terms of there's a spike in growth in a particular area because everyone's moving in. So most of the lifestyle areas, I'd say your bar and bays, your cans and all of these areas. As that trend changes, and again, we don't know when that's going to be, there'll be a shift backwards. And because these areas have gone up so much in value, it becomes overheated and inflated as it is right now. That's actually, you mentioned Byron Bay, and I'll be crucified for saying this. Byron Bay is a really good example, I believe, of a self-perpetuating market. Mm. Hmm. Because people are there that are people are there because people are there, and so it's built up its own little micro-economy around the fact that people are there and it's Byron Bay. Yeah. That is the very risk that some of the regional areas will encounter going forward. You could almost compare them to a mining town boom-bust scenario where- You've got such demand in there, rents go through the roof for no real reason. So all those people other than Hollywood stars, and let's use Byron Bay as an example, what do people do there for a living? Oh, I'm not going to get drawn in. I've got mates up there. I don't want to be – I've got to go to barbecues with them. I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but, but you know what I mean. Are, are they knowledge workers or are they – like are they – are they have they got jobs in the CBDs and they just like sit on their computers and – I like, look, like I what think, is fueling I think the property markets? Well, that's the very – point I was trying to make, but mm. it becomes self-perpetuating. But there's a degree and a combination of pre-COVID remote working, so from executive types, plus there's manuf- not manufacturing, but there's the self-employed component there that have to feed and cater for the local communities. But my point is that there'll be regional areas that will suffer, the subpar regional areas that will suffer just like a mining town, but without maybe the as massive peaks and troughs, but certainly the trends looking forward over the next two, three, four, five, ten years. And we need to be wary of that because at the end of the day, it is still about jobs. Mm-hmm. It is still about the availability of credit, as you mentioned earlier on, the cost of money, supply and demand. Mm. It's complicated, Victor. And, um, you know, making decisions right now, I guess, for people who are looking for a C slash tree change, to sell up your house in home or whatever in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or whatever to move to the sticks somewhere which is further than an hour and a half car ride from sydney or two or the capital two hours any further than that it becomes a pain right to get the work twice a week so depends selling up on the state depends on the state but selling up and moving number one is it's a big move it's a big move and that might be for you know for uh, principal place of residence people but this is going to influence buying decisions for, mm. that's for right and, and when you overlay that with investing right mm. so a lot of these data that's showing up, showing big spikes in areas in terms of both rent and growth, you need to still drill it back to fundamentals Mm. because a huge number of these acquisitions are being driven by owner occupiers, so the home buyers. So you need to be looking at it from, okay, where's the real push coming from? And you need to set that aside and look at the fundamentals of that area first because at some point in time, you may want to be getting out of this area or, you know, leveraging off so this you're property. you buying at the top of the market, you're going to end up selling at yeah, the bottom exactly, of the market yeah. when everyone flies back. Yeah, flies which is an analogy the of, of the mining towns. Yeah, yeah. And it's about liquidity in the mm. market, as we keep saying. Yeah. And, and typically when you need to get out, so does everybody else. And mm. so you become part of an illiquid market. Because the trigger point's the same, right? It's, it becomes unaffordable or unsustainable. Yeah, so our, our real message behind this podcast is whilst the data is important, it's only directional, and be very careful that, today's data, don't try and base it on yesterday's trends. 
mm. or data sets as well, because this is a different set of circumstances we have today. Because technology is far more readily available today, we have the chance to work remotely and not need to be in CBD pent-up areas, but be very careful how far you stretch that rule. Yes. Is what I would So say. how do you de-risk that then as a property investor? So you should be investing somewhere that has an airport with a direct flight to a capital? I don't think it's as, it's as and, easy as that. Yeah. But it's it's even, like saying is that, it, yeah, go and buy where there's a Bunnings because they spend millions of dollars doing research. Mm. It's not as black and white as that. Look, I think there are some regional areas that will do very well and will continue to do so and have done so and we've purchased them and we've been the recipients of its growth over many years. But in a very general sense, if you're looking for that change to invest in and you want a balance of growth and cash flow, well, then look within the commutable distance from the CBDs, their commutable distances. Mm. So if we're talking Sydney, it becomes a time component rather than a physical distance component. Mm. Whereas if it's Victoria, it becomes a combination of both. If you go Mm -hmm. to Adelaide and and you're an hour out of the CBD, well, an hour and a half, you're in nowhere. So it's all quite relative You're to the- You're in the desert. Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing against the South Australians. No, that's no, a great place. It, so it's all relevant to the area. I would say don't get too funky and clever with where you're purchasing because at the core of it all, the fundamentals won't change. Yeah. That's true. And having said that, you know, now's the time to jump in. If you've been sitting on the fence all this while, now is the time to jump in because you've got cheap money. You've got all the hallmarks of strong growth over the next couple of years. And you don't want to do what most people did in the Sydney market, which was waiting for it to come to an absolute frenzy in 2017 and jump in then. And guess what happened immediately after that? That came back. Yeah. And so FOMO is mm-hmm. really what you're talking about there. And yeah, you know, there's the analogy, while you can borrow, you should, you don't have to spend it. Yep. But at least you're prepared should the opportunity present itself. Because once you need the money, it's usually too late. The horses bolted. sort of bolted shut the gate. So be very real on, on where you want to be and start making those steps and taking action now because I can guarantee you that between today moving forward over the next 12 months, everything is going to be amplified in terms of how busy it is, whether it be a finance approval, it'll Mm -hmm. take longer. Whether credit becomes more readily available, it'll be harder. And you'll be competing against so many other people as well in terms of property. Just look at what happened in Melbourne over the weekend as um, the lockdown started easing out. Biggest ever uh, clearance rates. Yeah, no, yeah. no, they had their biggest auction day on a grand final day ever. Not so much in results, but how many went up for, sure. for auction? Like the actual, the the number yes. of, not mm. percentage of. Yeah. So it's an amazing, and we've said this too, like you, we said, watch Melbourne get a little bit of mobility and all the data sets will change and that will affect the general averages across the country as well. So you mentioned consumer confidence index earlier on. Mm. Melbourne's a big part of that generally speaking. And so once we start to see their mobility, we'll start to see consumer confidence level ramp up and that will affect the general averages, which will then start to self-perpetuate. Now, whilst all of this may not sound very scientific, it's quite deliberate that we're trying not to make it sound that scientific because it's not. Hmm. You don't have to make this as complicated as potentially it needs to be. So we're talking about data. So I've just scribbled it down. There's a data discrepancy. There's a data divide. There's a dilution of data. All this data-based decision-making right now in terms of the property investor making more informed decisions, it's all happened and it's old. It's changed so quickly. Mm. So what are the data sets you need to be looking at moving forward to ensure you're making those right calls? Well, 
Let's just take, only because we're recording in Sydney, let's use Sydney as an, an example where there's mm. double-digit vacancy rates. Everywhere, Steve. Everywhere. But literally three, well, maybe here in this area and three kilometres into the CBD, right? Yeah. So it's double-digit vacancy rates. And that is the truth. It's not around here, by the way. No, not, not yeah. in North Sydney. But You'll like, only find him in Alexandria, for example. Yeah. Maybe Green Park. In that way, no, that's right. That, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't uh, I, I don't invest there. No, but we don't need to go very far where like maybe an hour mm. and we're down to less than 1% vacancy rates. And if I can give you an example from the weekend where we expected circa $400 a week for a property and it had 33 groups of people through their 17 applications, nine sight unseen and it got $450 a week. Who are these people renting it? Your mum and dad, everyday person. Well, where were they six months ago? Well, this is, I don't know, probably not even thinking about a pandemic and reassessing their life. This is my point. COVID has changed the way that we will look forward for many years to come. It has been an absolute reset for just about anybody that I know. Mm -hmm. End of story. Mm. Whether it's the way that we look at business, where we want to live, how we live life. How we spend Every, our money. How we spend our money. But mark my words, it'll all get back to, let's call it the old normal, somewhere in the next decade. Mm. But in the meantime, people are reassessing. So if you own property, Victor, in the major capital cities, mm -hmm. should you be concerned that everyone's going to jump in their car and drive north, south, east or west and leave the CBDs, leave the cities and end up on in coastal towns or regional towns? Not necessarily, right? There will be... Definitely a dilution of rent in mm. the built-up areas, so your, your high-rises and so forth. And any area that was inflated in terms of rental before COVID and the fundamentals weren't there from a lifestyle perspective, but it's close to work, they're going to suffer. Yeah. Any areas that had a high density of overseas students renting or Airbnb, they will suffer. But if you go back out into the burbs, you've got your stable family tenants and you are likely to have less movement there and therefore that creates that bounce in terms of rental so and when you when you drill back to any crisis it's these areas with the compression factor that increases rental yield yeah so if you recall steve back in during the gfc we saw the same phenomena where people are moving out from their their 800 units houses and moving into the 500 unit mm. to houses, I'm talking rental per week, yeah. The $500 ones, they get compressed back to say the 400 area. Beyond that, there's nowhere else to go. So it's affordability. Yeah, and affordability. It, and the compression happened again. And they also, this time around, but they also, the analogy or the the formula where people say prices rise in the inner cities first and the blue chip areas and then emanate out. Mm -hmm. During the GFC, we said, no, no that, that won't happen. It will be the absolute opposite. And it exactly happened that way where the higher yields were. And we think, or we've said publicly that it'll happen again this time, and it already has. Mm. Where people get it wrong is they tend to put residential real estate as residential and that's it. And commercial is commercial and that's it. But residential real estate gets to a point, well, actually always there's a commercial aspect to residential real estate. And once it starts to generate, commercially speaking, enough cash flow, it then becomes a very in attractive investment vehicle for a lot of different people. And once it hits that tipping point, you start to see people come in. So once again, it's not just about the inner cities. It's not just about the emotional pull and scarcity, which it is. Like there's a, definitely a degree of that, but there's also a commercial aspect as well. So 
Is this the reason, Stephen, 10 years ago or so, when um, you started buying properties for me, that you bought those properties half of Western Sydney back in the day? Because we were getting 6% yields back then. Mm. And the cost of your money back then was between seven and eight. Today we're getting 5% yields and the cost of money is between three and three and a half. In fact, we're further ahead today on that spread today than what we were at the end of the GFC. It's just that the purchase price is higher. The purchase price has changed, but money's changed. But they can't be compressed too far, right? There's only so far rents can reduce before they just bottom out, right? So if you're operating in that space and people are under stress or Mm. need to You'll always find find that level where it becomes too attractive for people not to walk past, if you're talking about the attached stuff, the investor Mm. stock in the city. Once the borders, the international borders open and- I don't know, let's take university students. You're not going to get university students that are going to live out, I don't know, in the central coast of Sydney. They're going to go back into this stuff, this attached dwelling. So it will find its level. So you're talking sort of around Kensington University for University of New South Wales, University of Sydney, you know, UTS. So all these sort of inner city locations, five kilometres. But students like to walk to. Well, they do, but it also, it's the follow-on services that are necessary for the CBDs to operate. So Mm. it's the cafe workers, it's the cleaners, it's Mm -hmm. the, all of that. All on Sunday. Yeah, that goes into a localised CBD economy. So if there's no one there to perpetuate that or to employ or to have people in that locality, then, accommod- then you don't need the services and the accommodation will stay empty. So to pick up a point, you said that um, COVID has been a, a big reset for nearly everyone and, and the way in which we used to think about property markets has changed fundamentally. However, we've just drawn some parallels with good buying around the GFC mm-hmm. in the areas that I subsequently ended up buying with. So there's got to be a lot of clues in that, Victor. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like yeah. So, so they're the fundamentals you're talking about. Correct. Can you just crystallise them for me? Yeah, sure. Uh, so it is, first of all, it's the affordable corridor. So everyone's now looking at, say, paying 2.5%, 3% interest rate. You need to work it out on a 4% interest rate at the bare minimum to say, okay, when interest rates hit this, is this area affordable for me? And that becomes a tick. The other is that where your mortgage repayments is largely catered by the rental repayments that, mm. that you're getting from your tenant. So that gets the other tick. And then you throw in there the ability to get to work, the ability to get to different aspects of work. So if you're working in hospitality, as an example, and that's closed down, what else can you find nearby? Yeah, And then also looking at it from a viewpoint of the government, the state and federal, throwing infrastructure in and also creating employment in those areas and how does that change and shape the local society there and how does that feed back into stability of tenancy and also stability of growth we don't want spiking growth we want consistent growth spiking growth can get you into trouble because if you jump on at the wrong end of the spike you're sliding down and you're losing equity and usually in that scenario you've also speculated so you're not taking into account that interest rates will go up and if it doesn't go up, you're in trouble. That's really interesting. As you were saying that, I was thinking about transient markets, mm-hmm. that, well, what we identify as transient markets, because at the end of the day, we want to retire our mortgages. Correct. That's the goal. And so a transient market for us might mean something that we're purchasing in to eventually sell and take those profits, those large amounts of capital to pay down other mortgages, as an example. But what made me, I don't know, smile, if, if you will, at the beginning of the year, we did a podcast around Design Your Decade. Two podcasts. Two podcasts. Part one, part two. Part two, part one, part two. You've been paying attention. Well, <laughs> believe it or <laughs> Probably not. Probably the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I do, I th- I do actually know what's going on. <laughs> but think about it. So the year 2020, new decade, how much has happened in the first four months of that decade mm-hmm. and how much more is going to happen for the next few years? What better time to adjust the decade? Absolutely. So or redesign your decade. Redesign what your we decade. spoke about was flexibility in that design. It's always your been about flexibility. It's got to be outcome orientated and you change your tact along the way. It has to be. If you don't have, if the investment strategy that you choose, if it sticks you in a lane that you can't change or merge, that's a dangerous, dangerous strategy. So going back to the start of the discussion, gents, we sort of said, is it as good as it gets? Which we didn't say that was the case, but you said it's not bad right now for people that know what they're doing. So can you give me some sense, Victor, to how people are approaching you and Steve and your crew at Right Property Group? Are they informed? Are they educated? Are they sort of coming in with a mindset of, hey, it's pretty good right now. I need to capitalise on this. Or they people are needing to be persuaded to get rid of all the negativity that they've filled their heads with and mm-hmm. look at the positives. Yeah, okay. So there are two types of clientele that are approaching us. Those mm. that we got properties for just immediately after GFC, they're coming back and saying, get me some I more. was just thinking yeah. of that. That's next so level. Like round two. You're round like, two. Yeah, yeah they're so, going, yeah. So, so these are the similar environment. Yep. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Because okay. they've seen the result, right? Mm. And they've seen how by approaching it in a fundamental way and not straying away from the get out of jail card scenario in, in the sense that it could go wrong, we need to be able to exit that property, mm. right? So they've come back and said, okay, let's do, you know, GFC reloaded in that sense. Any second generations there, like kids of and- uh, uh, yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, imagine you would. Yeah. yeah. And then, okay, then, then we've got the people that have come in with total information overload. The reality is that in a market like this, there are a lot of would-be experts out there that have not seen the market in its various forms, in its various phases, and have not been investing either personally or for their clients for more than a decade, two decades. Mm. So therefore they've only seen the one market, which is the market going up and then they've got GFC over here and then they've latched on to phrases coined and recoined by each other and regurgitate that and appear to be knowledgeable. So this is where this knowledge because we, we live in an information age, it's easy to propagate this propaganda as, as mm. in one of our podcasts yeah, we said, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it becomes easy to confuse people because there's so much information. And what we find is that part of our role is to bring them back to basics in order to keep them safe because there is going to be upheaval in the next couple of years. And in depending on how you approach investments and depending on how you set up your portfolio or where you buy and what you buy will totally determine how you pan out over the coming years, whether you become a statistic and go backwards or whether you actually sit behind immense equity and good cash flow and have a good base of properties to move forward. Yeah, I think it's very much that, like that's not everybody though, to mm-hmm. be fair, that there's some very good people within our in our industry, yes. our, our peers. They've, but there are some very ordinary ones as well. And it's usually around timeframes and how quick you can retire, mm-hmm. become a gazillionaire. Whereas we know that this takes time. It does. We and know slow that, and steady wins the race. We know that we need to build out the cornerstones and the foundations so that it's strong enough to withstand the anomalies that an economy will endure from time to time. And we can't even presume when and what that will be because there's always a crisis. I think we said that in one of the Mm. podcasts. There's been a crisis every year for as long as I can remember. It's just how do we actually create something sustainable to buy us time in the market. And fortunately, unfortunately, because of our age, 
as I say with a smile on my face, we've been able to experience those big fundamental economic seismic shift type stuff, right? Yeah. And that's what we're seeing right now. Yep. And therefore for our younger listeners, and by younger I'm sort of talking mid-20s, right? Like you've gone to university and you're probably in your first job. What a huge opportunity to set yourself up. If you make hay now, and I was only having a chat with one of my colleagues here, Joe, who's 29, saying, mate, you know, you've got so much capacity right now to probably shortcut by a number of years by making really smart, informed buying decisions now when you can with a bit of compromise to lifestyle and whatever else, you might even skip, you know, you might even be able to skip a property cycle because you got in now. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such an amazing, yeah. as you were saying that, I was thinking of one of my clients who, they must be 24 mm. or thereabouts, they're on to their third property now. That Not that that's the badge of honour on how many they have, but they have done everything necessary to make it happen for themselves. They've saved, they work hard, they take extra shifts They've got themselves pre-proved to be taking advantage of opportunities immediately rather than go through the whole sort of analogy cycle, if you will. But they made sacrifices mm. as well. Like they're not out every night at the pub like you. <laughs> at the fish and chip shop, more yeah, like it. Yeah. But when I was that age, I was too busy working to even think outside that square. I know. And Information is now so much more accessible. There's nothing like this around when I was in my mid-20s, like where you could just on-tap information to educate yourself. You had to go and spend your weekend hungover in a property seminar somewhere, which you'd just never go to because you couldn't get out of bed, right? Like <laughs> it was a lot harder to capitalise on opportunities. Well, it's, it's from organisa- you know, organisations ago, like yours yeah. that has been able to create platforms in hand with social media that just everything is accessible. It completely democratises information, puts it in the hands of everyone. So then it's only as good as how you use it. Well, and you just mentioned the magic point there. It's in the hands of everybody and it's created by everybody. And Mm. the problem as well is that the better the slick marketer you are, take the word slick, the better the marketer you are is the history you can create. Yeah. May not be true, mm. but there in itself is the danger. Yeah. Like you, you, nothing replaces experience. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Mm. Yeah. Nothing replaces it. And I was on TikTok last night, Steve, looking around, seeing Are what's you on, going on. Have you got a TikTok account? I do have a TikTok account. Oh, you d- can just, you share it publicly? Just, just to keep an eye on uh, Phil Tarrant on, on what's going on. Anyway, and, and I found it awfully tedious, but I'm just, you know, I'd like to keep myself educated. Anyway, there was some guy on it, right, in America, and uh, for some reason- I don't know how it ended up coming into my feed, but um, it was all about supercars and this guy that walks up, I don't know if you follow TikTok, it's, he's quite a famous guy. He goes up to people and goes, um, there's some guy, like a guy driving a Bentley and he would say, hey, man, what do you do for a living? As in, how did you afford a car like this? And they go, oh, I'm in real estate or I'm in tech or whatever. But then this guy comes up and he's got this license plate, bear with me on this, with Burr, B-R-R-R-R-R. And the guy goes, how'd you make any money? And he goes, oh, real estate. I used the Burr system. And he goes, this is how I turn into a property bazillionaire, right? He goes, buy, rejuvenate or renovate, refinance, repeat. (laughs) I'm I'm on (laughs) mygov.com. It might have been another R. So it was rejuvenate or renovate, rent. That's what it was. Hmm. Rent, repeat. Which is, and I went, well, that's, that's essentially, that's, that's what, essentially we, what we do. Yeah. And I went, well, that's what I did. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I did, you know, under the stewardship of the great work of the Right Property Group. And I went, it's not that hard. 
Do you no, want, it's not. Do you know how it's this not. And I'm thinking yeah. about young people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's so... We're trying to make I, I it wanna, complicated. I don't want to promote his system or anything, but, you know. No, but I think there's a couple of similarities. I mean, you know, Vic's got the Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I'll get the number plate. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy you picked up on that, Steve. <laughs> so, me, me remaining strategically quiet didn't work over here. No, no, no not at all. We're <laughs> just waiting, waiting for any chance, This was mate. lined up like hours ago. <laughs> you, you being diplomatic at the start of things, yeah, I didn't like didn't, that. I for our, our younger listeners, get in the market if you can, right? Like, mm. you know, the, the opportunity is there, but you don't want to be a statistic, right? Yeah, that's right. And so but, you don't want to make it complicated. Mm. Stick to the basics, stick to the fundamentals, and don't make it exciting. Make it boring. Mm. That's the trick. Make it boring. Make it, yeah. make it boring and keep it simple. Mm. Look at the worst case scenario, which is always around cash flow yes. and what you can afford to pay or not. And if you can look at that worst case scenario and say, you know what? I'm not going to live on two-minute noodles should everything go bad for me, then do it. Don't chase the trend. Correct. But talking about the different generations then in this market, and we've identified that, put aside some of the negativity about the markets, look for the information that you need in order to make more informed decisions, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. You don't get a lot of people starting to invest in their 60s. It gets a lot harder, but you probably find quite a lot coming on, knocking on your door saying, I've got 10 more years in a workforce, I don't have any wealth, right? But for people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, is there any real difference to what you need to be doing in this market? And this yeah. is not giving financial Huge. advice. This is just in general. Every, if we get granular, every person clearly has it's a different, different. Yeah. But if we just sort of segment it into age brackets, there is a, a remarkable difference on how we approach it. Mm. The uh, portfolio is very different. Yeah, very, very different. So you mentioned like if, if a 50-year-old comes to us today, you know, there is so much more at stake, dare I say it, uh, at that age of life you don't get another chance Mm. because you're running out of time correct and there's usually a story behind it Mm. why they're starting at 50 as well and that's not from a negative but just there's always a story just is yeah Yeah. just is the beauty is this like we'll be talking about COVID and the ramifications for a thousand years it's like a biblical event Mm. and i think those that in a really simplistic way work it out and actually take action, no matter what that may look like to you, whether it's property shares or you know, whatever, or even just taking advantage of what's on the plate now at the cost of money and not even buying another property, just paying down your own home, whatever it looks like for you, those that actually take the bull by the horns in today's environment and do something will reap the dividends for so doing potentially generations. So doing something is better than doing nothing, but you've got to make sure that something doesn't make you a statistic. Yeah, yeah, it's a tightrope. Yeah, but if you sit there and go to 57 seminars and you're you're a group member on a thousand different Facebook profiles and Mm. each one of those have got a different strategy and a different way of doing things and side note, there's a million ways to do things, you've got to find something that resonates with you and your risk profile and eventually you're going to have to pull the trigger. You're going to have to do something. You can't go on doing research. No. Yeah, you've got to take action. Yeah. You could have a PhD in property investing and never have bought a property in your life. Mm-hmm. Until you've got hurt money, so to speak, in the game, that's when you'll learn. Mm. And you never have hurt money unless you're in the game. Correct. So make sure you don't get analysis paralysis. Some gets bandied around all the time, doesn't it? How many people come knocking on your doors with a PhD in property? As in, I've been researching it for 20 years and now it's time. Oh, I would say one out of 100. Okay. And that's for, mm-hmm. for me. And, and the reason for that is that our message from a social 
and marketing point of view, if you will, is mm. not that that attracts yeah. that type of personality. Personality. Okay. All right. Uh, conscious of time, gents. Uh, Victor, how would you summarise this chat? Give me the one key takeaway for Victor Kumar. Well, don't let data dictate your uh, investing methods. Mm. Let data and fundamentals dictate it. Okay. Good. Good summary. Stephen? Do something mm. is all I can come up with. But, it, <laughs> but it's the truth. Like, mm -hmm. like Victor's, you're purchasing. I purchased last week. There's, you should be doing something in today's- But doing something could just be as easy as calling up someone from your team going, hey, I want to chat to someone about this because I'm thinking about it. Is that doing something or is doing something- It's setting like the wheels in motion. Yeah, it's a start. You've so got, got to get started. You've mm. got to set the wheels in motion. You've got to have a conversation with someone about something mm. to see what the possibilities are. Even if there isn't a possibility, it's best to know. It's because, best to know because if if it is a no, you can work out how to turn that into a yes. I, like if you go see a mortgage broker and go, no way you're going to get money at the moment. However, if you do this, 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 guess and what? You and Vic, you'd have the same. Where mm -hmm. we've sat down with people and said, you know what, you need to do, you know, one, two, three, A, B, C, and that should take you approximately eighteen months. Let's put that plan in action. And it is amazing how many people yeah. actually do that. Because they've got direction then. You've got, they've got direction. Mm -hmm. And they come back and they say, right, I'm ready to go. So there is help out there. Make sure you speak to the right people to do that. Um, yeah, best thing I ever did in property was get started. You know, my biggest mistake in property is not going as hard as you know, right. a, I could have. There's a simple saying, right? You don't have to be great to get started. Yeah. But you have to get started to be great. There you go. Mm. And that's the slogan. We'll finish <laughs> that's, with that. That's... Pretty deep. That was very deep because as you were saying that, I just remember you and I feel catching up at McDonald's. Yeah, I remember that exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I think the first that's where you got started <laughs> over a slushy and it, some fries. It was, mate. And uh, I think <laughs> the first property I bought was like 180, 200 grand or somewhere there. Like. North St. Mary's. And maybe was, 212. That was no, an auction. I what it was. That was an auction and we we're standing out the back. Yeah. And we got it. Bam. Look at it now. Got started. What's that worth today? Nearly 600 more. North St. Mary's. Yep. Yeah, great spot, considering uh, Badgerys Creek train line going through just down the back. and uh, Well, that's where the station is. Might get rezoned. Well, you can already put a duplex on it. Mm. Anyway, we digress. Victor, what do people need to do if they want to have a chat with you guys? So you can uh, sit down with either myself or Steve, send an email to questions at writepropertygroup.com.au or just uh, go onto our website, click contact us, and uh, Melissa from our team will contact you and set up a time to sit down with either myself or Steve. Too easy. And uh, I think you'll enjoy the process. Just get started. That's my recommendation. Thank you, gentlemen. Really enjoyed it. Uh, well, uh, remember, please, uh, questions at writepropertygroup.com.au. Also, questions uh, for our Q&A episode coming up soon. Uh, so we're collecting all of them together, and we'll try and get through a whole bunch of them simultaneously. I hope you enjoyed that, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on Investing Insights for Right Property Group. We'll see you again next time. Till then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs, and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.